Hi, I'm Shara, and welcome to the Health Me, Health You podcast, where you will be inspired as you hear stories all about health, physical, mental, social, and spiritual. You will be energized from people from all walks of life, just like you and me, because we believe everyone has an encouraging story to share. So let's have some fun, learn from each other, and together, get healthier. Hey guys, welcome back. Thank you for joining us for part two of our Emotional Intelligence for Kids episodes with special guest Kristen Henley. Kristen joins us to talk about mental health. Yes, the piece of health that controls so much of who we are, but is often the first to be neglected. Kristen is a licensed marriage and family therapist by training. She specializes in cognitive behavior therapy and how it applies to kids. Kristen is passionate about educating others on emotional intelligence and on her website, Nurturing Characters, she provides lots of resources and tools. So even if you aren't raising kids, I know you will learn some tips from Kristen today on how you can become more intelligent emotionally. So Kristen was with us on episode eight, and she shared all about emotional intelligence for kids. And she shared five different things about it. So if you haven't listened to it, go jump over to episode eight and take a listen to that. But we are going to dive deeper today into the second of the five things that she shared with us for emotional intelligence for kids. So Kristen, welcome back. Thank you for sharing all of your wealth of knowledge. And why don't you give us a recap of the five things that we covered in episode eight? All right. Thank you again, Cher. It's so exciting to be back. Um, It was so much fun to talk about emotional intelligence with you. And there's really five components to EQ. So number one is recognizing and understanding our own emotions. Number two is learning to manage our own emotions. Number three, recognizing emotions in others. Number four, learn how to manage relationships well with others. And number five, have goals and the motivation to achieve those goals. And if you didn't get all that, don't worry. If you're a visual learner like I am, I'm going to put all this in the show notes. And also Kristen has tons of resources on her website, but we're going to list all these down in the show notes so you can see them, dive deeper into them. And again, go onto her website, which we'll share all that information on nurturingcharacters.com at the end of the episode. So Kristen, yes, that's a recap of all of it. So the one we're going to dive in today is what? So we're going to focus on step two of emotional intelligence, which is learn to manage our own emotions. So this is a question I get a lot, especially from parents. They're typically wanting to know, how can I teach my child to manage his or her feelings? So we want to know, how can we self-regulate when we're experiencing strong emotions and how can we teach that to our children? Yeah. And it's interesting as you say that, how do we manage our own emotions? Because I think you're totally right from what I learned in the last episode. It starts with us as parents. We have to make sure we're in the right mindset to then be able to really coach our children to be able to be emotionally intelligent as well. Yeah, it's so true. Just knowing and understanding. Um, in episode one, we really talked about our 
um, emotions. And we have to also recognize the home life that we grew up in and whether or not emotions were talked about, were unpleasant emotions allowed in your home. These are things that it's important to do some self-reflection on to know, like, was I allowed to be angry or um, was it not okay to be sad or to express fear or sadness? Um, so once we take a, a look at you know our home lives and where we came from, we can start to think about how we deal with emotions now in the present you know stage of life that we're in. Would you also say because I know last time we talked about the emotional intelligence quiz you can take online, and you mentioned a friend of yours took it. And as I'm hearing you say this right now, I'm like, I wonder if every parent out there that's listening to this should find an emotional intelligence quiz that they can take to do some of that self reflection to see what kind of emotional intelligence they're projecting onto their kids. What do you think? Oh, that's a great idea. I think that's awesome. And maybe we could put some links below of some common. EQ test that would be helpful for our listeners. That's awesome. Yes, let's do that for sure. Okay, so let's dive right in. What are the steps underneath learning how to manage our emotions? Okay, so step two in emotional intelligence is all about learning how to manage our own emotions. So when we're teaching that to kids, there's really four ways that we can help teach them how to self-regulate with their emotions. Um, so the first way is we can explain to them what is happening in their brain. We talked about this in the last episode, the importance of distinguishing their emotion center versus their thinking part of the brain. This is super important and a really tangible way to explain this to kids is doing the hand model of the brain. And we promised you we would walk through this with you. So if everybody wants to raise your right hand... And we'll just walk through this really quickly. So if you can place your thumb into the middle of your palm, okay, and then fold your all four fingers over top, you get kind of a really, um, well, just a tangible way of what the brain could look like. So the four fingers in front is the frontal lobe right behind your forehead. And then the thumb represents the emotion center. And so... These are the two parts that you want to really highlight for kids. So when I'm talking to kids, I say, you have, this is where your emotions fire. And I kind of pulse my thumb to show them like when you're happy, sad, angry, scared, disgusted, surprised, this is where that's happening in your brain. We call that the amygdala. Um, the amygdala is part of the limbic system, which is responsible for gathering information. And that's where your emotions in your brain are actually firing. And so that's, you know, really going fast and being highlighted inside the middle of your brain. And you can kind of point to your temple and show them it's like in the middle part of their brain. But then there's an important part then can that can then help their emotions. It can manage them, calm them. It's the part of the brain called the frontal lobe that is responsible for impulse control, making decisions, critical thinking, all these wonderful things that happen as we grow up. It's important to also tell them that part of your brain is developing you know, very slowly in the adolescent years, it has a big growth spurt. So it's developing faster than, but it doesn't fully develop until 
your mid twenties to thirties, even some research shows. So that's important for parents to recognize. That's why your child is, you know, flying off the handle when their sock isn't fitting right, especially our toddlers. And so highlighting that the frontal lobe can then work on calming their emotions when they need to take a break or calm down in whatever way they need to. Just teaching our children the hand model of the brain is a really powerful tool because it empowers the child to show them the connection between their behavior and their body, right? Because they can see exactly in front of them what happens in their brain, and that can help change what the brain does. Um, there's, we'll also put down a link below of me explaining this to my two and three and a half year old at the time. So you can get started super early with kids. And if your child is, you know, 12, 13, while it might be uncool for them, I would still show them the video and I would talk about this and, um, because it's quite empowering to kids, right? Oh, I think it's going to be great. I can't wait to try it on my kids. Yeah. And practically speaking, you know, um, I'd like to bring up an example. Let's say we have little Susie who is six years old and it's in the morning time. She's moody, she's irritable, and she's beginning to escalate, right? So you send her to her room. She's supposed to be getting dressed. She gets distracted. You're coming back and you're saying, Susie, I asked you to get dressed. You know, we need to. Well, by this time, she's already escalating because her brother, she got into an argument with her little brother. And so she's starting to get really upset. And you can use this practically by saying, okay, Susie, do you remember when mommy explained to you about the amygdala and the frontal lobe? So your amygdala is trying to take over. How can mommy help you so that your frontal lobe is not flipping open because that's kind of a cool concept. You can take your fingers when they're um, covering the amygdala and you can show kids that they can flip their lid when we get triggered and upset and we don't want them to flip their lids. So there's things that they can do to help calm the emotions. And so just articulating that to your child is an indication for them like, oh yeah, I need to do something. I need to take a break or I need to leave the room for a minute and instill some of those positive coping skills. You know, as you're saying all this, Kristen, what I'm also thinking is even if I don't go to that step right away, because it's going to take me a while to get to the step of educating my kids with it, I'm thinking I need to be saying these words to myself as little Susie is about to flip her lid, I need to be saying to myself, hey, this is what's happening on her inside. So I need to control my emotions and not let my emotions control me by her getting upset. So I would almost say in my mind, I'm thinking my first step needs to be to get into the routine of thinking this way myself and then educating my kids. Would you say that that's kind of the right way of going about it? Absolutely. It gives parents a foundation and an understanding of what's happening for their kids, right? Because you need to know that when you're walking in a situation, you are also, your amygdala is firing because no parent likes to see their child starting to escalate or getting, feeling distressed. And so you have to realize, especially in a high stress moment, where you're trying to leave for work or you're trying to get your homeschool day started. You don't want to have an incident. And so I know in our home, I have to recognize that and say, 
wow, okay, well, their frontal lobe is developing. It's not quite there. They can't do a lot of forward thinking. They, they can't, they don't have the capacity to have high impulse control. So we are teaching them that. But there's things that we talked about in the last episode of how to strengthen the frontal lobe that can be helpful. So we don't just want to throw our hands up and say, they don't have the capacity, they can't understand. That the frontal lobe is functioning and it is growing um, day to day for them. All right, Kristen. So we're going to explain the brain. We're going to do that hand model of the brain. We're going to talk about it to ourselves and to our kids. And that's tip number one. What is another tip you can give us? Okay, so tip two is all about naming the emotions and validating the child. So we talked a bit about this in episode one as well. Um, If your child is upset, you want to name it. And the key word here, Daniel Siegel talks about this. He actually developed the hand model of the brain. He's a neuroscientist and author. Um, And he says you want to name it to tame it. Okay. And so that simply saying to the child, it seems like you're getting frustrated or it seems like you're angry. Is that, am I right about that? And it's important, I think, to not just assume what the child is feeling. You can always ask the child because it allows them to not be defensive and um, they're more open to wanting to express the unpleasant emotion that they don't want to be feeling in the first place. So also acknowledging, honey, it's okay to be frustrated. I get really frustrated when I can't find what I want to wear. And when little brother said that you're mean, um, that's frustrating. And I can see that you are, and that's okay. But these feelings aren't going to stay forever. And research shows that just talking about the emotion actually activates the left side of the brain. And the left side of the brain is the center for language and logic. So it physiologically calms the child as they talk about the emotion that they're feeling. Sometimes we don't see this though. It seems like they're still escalating. And so don't be alarmed if your child is escalating while they're talking about their emotion, just simply validating it and naming it to tame it. So back to Susie, it would be, honey, you seem like you're really frustrated. What do you need right now to help calm down, and continue getting dressed. So we're going to name it to tame it. Done. Tip two, done. Name it to tame it, people. All right. Tip three is? Okay. So tip three is really important. It's all about our thinking. So we want to teach kids how important their thoughts and the stories that they tell themselves impact how they feel and how they behave. And a lot of adults don't really understand this. So this is really important for adults to a lot of clients that I work with when we teach them some of these cognitive behavior therapy concepts say, I wish I knew about this, you know, when I was younger. And so that's a lot where my passion is now is to teach people that they can teach younger kids about this. And research does show that kids express thoughts as early as three or four as they occur in the moment. And it doesn't necessarily make sense to the listener, but language as language is developing in kids, 
they start to think out loud through their speech, and that helps them take action and behave. And then when we get older, what happens is that speech becomes internalized, and it's known as inner speech. And in my profession as a cognitive behavior therapist, we call them automatic thoughts. So without getting into details about automatic thoughts, the most, the key takeaway that I hope every listener walks away with is how important it is to teach our kids that their thoughts can make them feel better or worse. And I think every listener can think about that too. Not every kid, but every adult. Like what those thoughts are that we're telling ourselves every single day can make us feel better or worse. So are we telling ourselves, I am beautiful. I am strong. I am a child of God. I am loved. I am courageous. There's so many things that you could tell yourself or you're telling yourself when you look in the mirror, I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm unmotivated. I didn't want to get up this morning. Um, I don't want to do the things that are on my to-do list. All of those things have major, major power over us. Absolutely. And if we're not used to picking up on these thoughts, that's okay. That's pretty normal. What people actually identify with first is their emotion. So a situation happens to them, they realize that they're triggered. So somebody cuts them off in traffic. You're going to identify first with the emotion, right? So you're angry, you're irritated because that amygdala, get your thumbs out, people. That amygdala is firing off, it's pulsing, right? But what you didn't catch and what we want to catch up with our emotion is what did you tell yourself? So that stupid person or I can't believe they cut me off, right? I don't deserve that. So those types of thoughts are happening within milliseconds. We don't always catch them right away, Um, but we want to teach kids to eventually catch those thoughts and teach them just how much they impact how they feel and behave. So going back to Susie, we want to ask her, and maybe the timing wouldn't be right. You know, this is for you as the parent, you have to make the judgment call. Is the child too escalated in that moment? Because in that case, they're not going to want to tell you what they're thinking. This might be important to process later when the child has physiologically calmed down. But ultimately, we can ask, you know, honey, are you telling yourself something that's making you feel better or worse? So, and you also might hear the language, the child might be saying, I have nothing to wear, and my brother hates me. And then so catch, that's a thought. Those are thoughts. So you can say, okay, wait, Susie, does Johnny really hate you? Is that, is telling yourself that, is that helping you or is it hurting you? So we want to teach kids that sometimes what they think isn't even true. Our goal in life is to think accurately. Rational thoughts are the most healthy type of thoughts. What you think is what you become. And I created a mnemonic tool called a truth filter so that people can check their thoughts to see if they're accurate. It's the word truth, and it stands for T, tested, R, rational, U, useful, T, true, H, helpful. So let's dive deeper into that. So if we go back to Susie um, saying nothing, I'm, I'm frustrated, and she's saying nothing can help me right now. 
let's go through the truth filter. Okay. So T stands for, is it tested? So do you have proof that that thought is true? So how do you know that nothing will help you? The R stands for rational. So is thinking nothing will help me? Does that actually make sense? Or is there another way to look at that situation? The U stands for useful. Does thinking that way help me reach my goals? Or is it encouraging to myself or other people? So if Susie's saying nothing's going to help me, is that going to help her reach her goal of getting dressed or you know finishing that hard assignment? Um, and is it encouraging? Is it going to be uplifting to her? The last T is true. Is it true? And if it's true, how can I cope? Um, so this is a really important one. So her saying nothing will help me is not necessarily true because something is going to help her. But sometimes what we have to remember is there are thoughts that children have that are true and they can be very distressing to a child. And in that case, we need to focus on how could I cope? So lots of kids that have worry and anxiety, they might be afraid. I'm mommy's going on a business trip and I'm afraid that she'll get in an accident and she won't come home. And so we don't know necessarily if that's going to come true. Chances are that's not going to come true. But if it did come true, how would you cope? And so I think that's really important, especially with adults. Um, when we have a lot of these unnecessary worries, we can follow that line of thinking through and finish it with a more helpful, soothing thought. And then the last letter is H, helpful. So does this thought help reduce my strong, unpleasant emotion? And usually if your child is giving you a hard time and they're, you know, countering every little point you're making, you get to this bottom one and all you have to say is, is this helpful? Is it helpful thinking this way? And this is where the child really can't fight you on it because <laughs> saying nothing will help me is not helpful to the situation at hand. So we will also provide this mnemonic tool down below, but I have to say that kids who are seven and younger you're just going to want to keep it simple. And sometimes I think it's most important, even for myself as an adult and a therapist who teaches people about this, I find it's most helpful when I'm in a bad place just to ask myself these two questions. It's the last two letters. Is it true? Is it helpful? Yeah, because it's really easy to talk ourselves into these stories we make up in our head. And I love that. Is it true? Is it helpful? Absolutely. Two most simple questions that can turn around your thinking. Whatever thoughts you have going on in your mind um, and the dialogue that you hear, the self-destructive talk that your children are saying, it's too hard. I can't do this. Um, I'll never be able to get it. Asking them, is that true? Is it helpful? I hear that all the time, every single day, Kristen, as we are doing school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to push that back on them and say, hey, is that really true? Is it really too hard for you to do your math? Because I don't think it's helpful for you to tell that to yourself. Exactly. 
That's it. So kids, kids will often fight you on the truth part, but they can't really on the helpful. And then sometimes my eldest will be a little stinker and she'll say, yes, it's helpful. And I said, really? Are you sure it's helpful? So does that make you happier? See how you can break down the language and really simplify it for even a five, six-year-old. I love it. I'm going to do that. It's going on my list. Okay, so explain the brain, name the emotions, identify and filter those thoughts. And our fourth tip would be what? So our last tip is especially important when the emotions are flying high, when there's lots of intense emotions that your child is displaying and your goal is to help them calm down. So either their lid is flipped or it's about to flip and you can send them to a safe place with some positive coping skills there to help your child when they are about to escalate. This could be a place where I like to call a calm down corner. So this is different from a timeout where um, lots of families, when a boundary is violated in the family, such as hitting, pushing, some sort of physical altercation, where it's very clear in your family that this is not allowed um, sometimes a child in that case is sent to what is called a timeout. It's age appropriate and time sensitive. Um, but if the child hasn't violated a family boundary and it's not necessarily a situation where a child needs a direct consequence, then they could go to a calm down corner or a calming space where, um, they can self-regulate based on things that you put there. Um, such as certain games or manipulatives that um, they could have so that they could help to self-regulate. So it sounds like what you're saying is something very similar to what we do with our kids sometimes. So tell me if this is right. So sometimes if our kids, if their lids are flipped and they're freaking out, um, I'm learning your language now, Kristen, uh, a lot of times we'll say your emotions are too high until you can de-escalate. You need to go up to your room. You can stay up there as long as you want, but you can only come back down when you're calm. Would that be the same type of thing as a calm down corner? I don't care when they're up there, if they're playing with stuff or doing whatever they want to do, but they just need to go in, shut the door and they can come back out when they're calm. Would that be the correct thing to do? Yeah, very much so. So in positive parenting, what you'll see a lot of is that the parent is emotionally available for the child, especially when the child's emotions are high. But that's not always possible, right? I Like when do your kids really start escalating? What time of the day do they escalate for you? It's usually dinner time or if my attention is elsewhere and I'm present, but not present. So I'm physically present, but not emotionally and mentally present in the space that they're in. Yeah. Very similar to our home. And I'm sure lots of the listeners can identify with that. And so asking a parent to be emotionally present and to hug their child until they calm down isn't always an option. And I, 
I don't feel as a parent that that um, is a realistic expectation. And so I would never expect that of somebody else. And so one thing that, you know, you talked about sending your kids to their room to calm down, or if you have a dedicated spot in your house that has some calm down tools in it, um, then that can be really helpful doesn't mean that you're not going to check in with your child later, but at the moment when your attention is divided, I think it's important to set that boundary with your child and then come back to them and review what it, what it is that they did in their time away. And then you can go into some of those things that we talked about. You can talk about, okay, what happened in your brain? What feelings were you feeling? Did you have any thoughts? that were helping you or hurting you um, and kind of review those other times. So I don't want our listeners to feel like in the moment they have to have the solution. We don't expect that of adults, right? We don't always process things until much later. And so we shouldn't have that expectation on our children, nor the expectation that we can be available 100% of the time to meet their every emotional need. It's okay to take some time apart, maybe calm down on our own, and then have that rich time in with your child afterwards. So I have to ask you this question because this is going through my head as you're talking about these calm down corners. Do your kids ever want to go to the calm down corners because there's resources there to play with that are new and fun that they don't always get to play with? That's your hope, right? (laughs) So that is an asset to having a calm down corner because you can have these designated toys. And I do have a link created on my website that can um, provide some ideas for people. A lot of the stuff you can find even around your home. You don't want your kids to all be fighting over the calm down corner. But your goal basically is for kids to want that sort of environment and to choose that as a positive coping skill. So then they regulate their emotions before they actually flip their lid. So escalation is happening. You teach your children how to manage their emotions by recognizing I'm, I'm getting upset. I'm frustrated. My lid's about to flip. Okay. I need to tune in to one of my positive coping skills before I explode. Kristen, these are such helpful tips about learning how to manage our emotions. And what I've loved about everything that you've shared is even though you're talking about kids, it can be applied to adults. I mean, just thinking about how how your emotions are running in your brain with the hand model. I love that idea. I love that you also talked about true versus helpful and really asking yourself that with every situation that we get ourselves into and we start to lose our emotions and we flip that lid, I'm going to start asking myself that. Is this true? Is it helpful? So everything that you've covered today, I just want to thank you because even though this is supposed to be for kids, I've learned for myself. I know other people have learned for themselves as well too. Can I get an amen? I hear a lot of amens out there. Um, So people are going to want to know how to find out more information about all the resources that you have, be able to follow you on Instagram, all of that good stuff. So girl, tell us how they can get in touch with you, learn more from you and follow along on your journey. Okay. Well, you can find me at nurturingcharacters.com. 
And you can find me on Instagram or Facebook as Nurturing Characters. Perfect. So everyone go give Kristen a follow. Check out all the resources in the show notes because you're going to want to see the visuals that she has. I think I'm going to print some out, maybe put them up on my fridge. So that way I'm a very visual person. That way I can reference them throughout the day because I know that I'm going to need some of these tips 24 seven. So Kristen, thank you so much for doing the second part with us. Go check out episode eight and now episode nine. Thank you all for listening. And Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you for having me. I'm just so excited. I feel honored to be here and helping When I teach people about these concepts, it helps me and reinforces these ideas for me. So thank you for the opportunity. All right, you guys, I encourage you all to take the emotional intelligence test, quiz, whatever you want to call it. It's down in the show notes. Go follow Kristen, as I said. And thank you so much for joining me on today's episode as we learn how to better our kids and ourselves in our mental health and our emotional intelligence. I hope you learned a ton today. And thank you so much for following along on this podcast. Please go review it, comment, like, share it with your friends, share it with your family. Just shout it out of the rooftops. Tell them that this podcast is for inspiration and education on all areas of health, physical, mental, social, and spiritual. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. Stay healthy, my friends. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and not medical advice. Before making changes to your health, consult your healthcare provider.